and welcome to April's Campfire Story episode of Heading North. I'm your host, Nick. This week, we travel to Yosemite National Park and find ourselves in a tale of the wilderness and the wildlife in this park. Today's author was noted for being an ecological thinker and political spokesman whose writings became a personal guide into nature for many people. Today's story is an excerpt from Amongst the Animals of the Yosemite by John Muir. The Sierra Bear, brown or gray, the sequoia of the animals, tramps over all the parks, though few travelers have the pleasure of seeing him. On he fares through the majestic forests and canyons, facing all sorts of weather, rejoicing in his strength, everywhere at home, harmonizing with trees and rocks and shaggy chaparral. Happy fellow, his lines have fallen in pleasant places. Lily gardens and silver fir forests, miles of bushes in endless variety and exuberance of bloom over hill waves and valleys along the banks of streams. Canyons full of music and waterfalls, parks fair as Eden, places in which one might expect to meet angels rather than bears. In this happy land, no famine comes nigh him. All the year rounds, his bread is sure, for some of the thousand kinds that he likes are always in season and accessible, ranged on the shelves of the mountains like stores in a pantry. From one to another, from climate to climate, up and down he climbs, feasting on each in turn, enjoying a great variety as if he traveled to far-off countries north and south. To him, almost everything is food except granite. Every tree helps to feed him, every bush and herb, with fruits and flowers, leaves and bark, and all the animals he can catch badgers, gophers, ground squirrels, lizards, snakes, etc., and ants, bees, wasps, old and young, together with their eggs and larvae and nests. Crunched and hashed, down all go to his marvelous stomach and vanish as if cast into a fire. What digestion? A sheep or a wounded deer or pig he eats warm, about as quick as a boy eats a buttered muffin, or should the meat be a month old, it still is welcome with tremendous relish. After so gross a meal as this, perhaps the next will be strawberries and clover, or raspberries with mushrooms and nuts or puckery acorns and choke cherries, and as if fearing that anything eatable in all his dominions should escape being eaten, he breaks into cabins to look after sugar, dried apples, bacon. Occasionally he eats that mountaineer's bed, but when he has had a full meal of more tempting dainties, he usually leaves it undisturbed. Though he has been known to drag it up through a hole in the roof, carry it to the foot of a tree, and lie down on it to enjoy a siesta. Eating everything, never is he himself eaten except by man, and only man is an enemy to be feared. Bar meat, said a hunter, from whom I was seeking information. Bar meat is the best meat in the mountains. Their skins make the best beds, and their grease the best butter. Biscuit shortened with bar grease goes as far as beans. A man will walk all day on a couple of them biscuit. In my first interview with a Sierra bear, we were frightened and embarrassed, both of us, but the bear's behavior was better than mine. When I discovered him, he was standing in a narrow strip of meadow, and I was concealed behind a tree on the side of it. After studying his appearance as he stood at rest, I rushed towards him to frighten him, that I might study his gait in running. But contrary to all I had heard about the shyness of bears, he did not run at all. When I stopped short within a few steps of him, as he held his ground in a fighting attitude, my mistake was monstrously plain. I was then put on my good behavior, and never afterward forgot the right manners of the wilderness. This happened on my first Sierra excursion in the forest of the north of Yosemite Valley. I was eager to meet the animals, and many of them came to me as willing to show themselves and make acquaintance, but the bear kept out of my way. An old mountaineer, in reply to my question, told me that bears were very shy, all 
save grim old grizzlies, and that I might travel the mountains for years without seeing one, unless I gave my mind to them and practiced the stealthy way of hunters. Nevertheless, it was only a few weeks after I had received this information that I met the one mentioned above, and obtained instructions at first hand. I was encamped in the woods about a mile back of the rim of Yosemite beside a stream that falls into the valley by the way of Indian Canyon. Nearly every day for weeks I went to the top of the North Dome to stretch, for it commands a general view of the valley and I was anxious to draw every tree and rock and waterfall. Carlo, a St. Bernard dog, was my companion, a fine intelligent fellow that belonged to a hunter who was compelled to remain all summer on the hot plains and who loaned him to me for the season for the sake of having him in the mountains, where he would be so much better off. Carlo knew bears through long experience, and he it was who led me to my first interview. Though he seemed as much surprised as the bear at my unhunter-like behavior, one morning in June, just as the sunbeams began to stream through the trees, I set out for a day's sketching on the dome. And before we had gone half a mile from camp, Carlo snuffed the air and looked cautiously ahead, lowered his bushy tail, drooped his ears, and began to step softly like a cat, turning every few yards and looking me in the face with a telling expression, saying plainly enough, there is a bear a little way ahead. I walked carefully in the indicated direction until I approached a small flowery meadow that I was familiar with and crawled to the foot of a tree on its margin, bearing in mind what I had been told about the shyness of bears. Looking out cautiously over the instep of the tree, I saw a big burly cinnamon bear about 30 yards off, half erect, his paws resting on the trunk of a fir that had fallen onto the meadow, his hips almost buried in grass and flowers. He was listening attentively and trying to catch the scent showing that in some way he was aware of our approach. I watched his gestures and tried to make the most of my opportunity to learn what I could about him, fearing he would not stay long. He made a fine picture standing alert in the sunny garden walled in by the most beautiful firs in the world. After examining him at leisure, noting the sharp muzzle thrust inquiringly forward, the long shaggy hair on his broad chest, the stiff ears nearly buried in hair, and the slow, heavy way in which he moved his head, I foolishly made a rush on him, throwing up my arms and shouting to frighten him, to see him run. He did not mind the demonstration much, only pushed his head further forward, and looked at me sharply as if asking, what now? If you want to fight, I'm ready. Then I began to fear that on me would fall the work of running, but I was afraid to run, lest he be encouraged to pursue me. Therefore I held my ground, staring him in the face within a dozen yards or so, putting on as bold a look as I could and hoping the influence of the human eye would be as great as it said. Under these strained relations, the interview seemed to last a long time. Finally, the bear, seeing how still I was, calmly withdrew his huge paws from the log, gave me a piercing look as if warning me not to follow him, turned and walked slowly up the middle of the meadow into the forest, stopping every few steps and looking back to make sure that I was not trying to take him at a disadvantage in a rear attack. I was glad to part with him, and greatly enjoyed the vanishing view as he waded through the lilies and columbines. Thenceforth, I always tried to give bears respectful notice of my approach, and they usually kept well out of my way. Though they often came around my camp in the night, only once afterward, as far as I know, was I very near one of them in daylight. This time it was a grizzly I met, and as luck would have it, I was even nearer to him than I had been the big cinnamon. 
Though not a large specimen, he seemed formidable enough at a distance of less than a dozen yards. His shaggy coat was well grizzled, his head almost white. When I first caught sight of him, he was eating acorns under a Kellogg oak. At a distance of perhaps 75 yards, and I tried to slip past without disturbing him. But he had either heard my steps on the ground or caught my scent. For he came straight toward me, stopping every rod or so to look and listen. And as I was afraid to be seen running, I crawled on my hands and knees a little way one side and hid behind a libocedrus, hoping he would pass me unnoticed. He soon came up opposite me and stood looking ahead while I looked at him, peering past the bulging trunk of the tree. At least turning his head, he caught sight of mine, staring sharply a minute or two, and then with fine dignity disappeared in a manzanita-covered earthquake talus. Yosemite National Park was first protected in 1864 and is best known for its waterfalls, but within its nearly 1,200 square miles, you can find deep valleys, grand meadows, ancient giant sequoias, a vast wilderness area, and much more. Located in Western California, Yosemite is also the home of the iconic Half Dome Rock Formation. Thousands of hikers, rock climbers, and outdoor adventurers travel to the park every year. Thank you so much for listening to this month's Campfire Stories. Stay tuned for Sustainability Earth Day next week. Music in this episode is by Asylum Music and Media Works. For more from Heading North, visit headingnorthpodcast.com or find us on social media by searching at Heading North Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find me by searching at Grizzly Adams on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well. To support the show, go to headingnorthpodcast.com forward slash support or follow and leave a review for the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. <laughs>